Awesome. So we're going to just carry on uh, from this morning, and we'll have a look at the uh, at the different scenes of judgment that are going to take place. So this morning, uh, we had a look at eternal judgment. We had a look at the difference between how God's judgments work here while we're still alive and the ramifications it has on other people. We also, and, and then we looked at the difference between eternal judgment that every single person when they stand before God is held accountable for what they've done. Every single person in this room is going to give an account for every action, every thought, every motive, every, every uh, hidden agenda that we have. We will have to give an account for that uh, before God. And uh, there's, no, there's going to be no, well, uh, my granddad did this and that's why I'm like I am. Or there's going to be no passing any blame on anyone. Every person will stand before God as an individual and be held accountable for what we've done. Okay, That's the difference between the two judgments. And then we also looked at just five principles of judgment. And if you want to have a listen, it'll be up on the web. Uh, part one. Now we're going to do part two. So we, um, we are going to look now at the different scenes of judgment that are going to take place. So we're talking about eternal judgment, which are judgments that are going to take place after we've died. Okay, Because while we are here living on earth, we're living in this age, eternity will start after we've died, okay? And so there are three main judgments that are going to take place, and they're going to take place at different seats, you're going to see. So the first one is the judgment of all Christian believers. It's a special judgment for Christians. And I'm going to actually have a look at that in a lot of detail next week, Sunday morning. It'll happen at the close of the age when Jesus returns, and it'll take place on the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? That's the first one. And the only thing I'm going to say about that tonight is that it's not a judgment for condemnation. It's a judgment to determine your reward for how you've served God. Okay? But everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought, all your motives will be taken into account. Okay? And it'll be a judgment for God to see how are you going to be used in the future. That's what it's for. That's all I'm going to say. It's not for condemnation. Praise God for that. Because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All right. Then the next big judgment that we see happening as well is the judgment of the Gentile nations. Okay. And this is going to happen at the close of the Great Tribulation. And it's going to happen on the seat which is called the throne of Christ's glory. Okay, That's where that judgment takes place. And then the third one I'm going to look at is the judgment of the remaining dead, which takes place right at the end of the millennium, where all the remaining dead are brought before the Lord, and it's brought before the great white throne of judgment. Okay? And that's the final one. And then after that, if, if you are one of God's children, you will live for him, with him, uh, right into eternity forever. Okay? And if you're not, 
you will be eternally separated from God. So take God, everything that's good about God. Just think of blue skies, fresh air, sunshine, light, water, nourishment from food. Take all that away and that's what you're left with. So everyone has the opportunity to choose God or reject God. If you reject God, what you end up with is nothing that God is. Everything that he isn't. Darkness, famine, thirst, uh, hatred. Uh, you, you just can't imagine how terrible it will be. It really will be. Because right now, even sinners and people that, that hate Christians or hate God are enjoying the blessings of God. They can wake up and see a sunrise. But people who reject God will be in outer darkness forever. Okay? <laughs> it's serious. Anyway, so let's move on to the judgment of the Gentile nations. As I said, I'll cover the Christian believers in another one next week. Now, this is the first thing. I thought, when I first started looking into this, my immediate thought was, why is there going to be a judgment for Gentile nations? Why isn't there just all the, why isn't there one judgment and it's like you're in or out and that's it? Why are there all these other judgments going on? That's how I think anyway. God has divided the human race, I don't know if you know this, into three groups. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. says, Don't give offense to the Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. There are three major groups that God has divided everyone in. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile or you're part of the church. You could be part of the church and have previously been a Jew or a Gentile, but when you're born again, you become part of the church. Okay? The Jews are a nation chosen by God for a special purpose. The Gentiles are all the other nations who aren't Jewish. It's pretty easy to distinguish the two. And the church consists of people who are the true believers in Christ and as such are born again. They are no longer Jew or Gentile. They're a new nation in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so we've got Jews, Gentiles, and the church. So we've got the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. We have the judgment of the Gentile nations, and we will see that there will be a judgment upon the Jews as well. They get their own special one. And these judgments will take place at the close of all what I can say is the historical uh, judgments of God, or the historical timeline of God. Okay? Even though... The Jews have rejected their Messiah. He has promised to never, ever reject them as a nation. Okay? The Lord says this, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people. Why? Because they're such a great bunch of people? No. For his name's sake, he has promised, and he does it because of his name, he will never, ever reject them as a people. Okay? 
When we consider the judgment of Israel and the Gentile nations, there's a principle here that will help us to understand what's going to go on. The principle is this. God blesses the Jews directly, but he blesses the Gentiles through the Jews. What did he say to Abraham? He said, I will bless those who bless you. Okay? Jesus comes through the Jewish nation. All nations on earth have been blessed through the Jews. But God punishes the Gentiles directly, but he punishes the Jews through the Gentiles. So when they went into exile, what happened? Assyria comes and attacks. Babylon comes and attacks. All the Gentile nations attack the Jews. It's not a direct attack from God. It's the, the, the Gentile nations are God's instrument he uses to punish the Jews. Okay? And when it comes to the judgment of these Gentile nations, we're going to see this principle applied. In the closing stages of the Great Tribulation, God will judge and he will punish Israel using the Gentile nations. And it's going to be a time of tribulation like they have never, ever experienced in the history of the world. It's going to be absolutely terrible. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3 to 9. Quite a big passage. I'll just read it through. Jeremiah 30, 3 to 9. There's two passages I want to read about this. For a time is coming... When I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah, and I will bring them home into this land that I gave to their ancestors, and they will possess it again. It's very significant that there will be a restoration of Israel. In the 50s, I think it was, or in the 60s, Israel was, the state of Israel was reinstated again. Okay? Now, the capital of as Jerusalem is being recognized by America and even Australia is starting to recognize that. There is a restoration going on of their physical land. Once that is totally complete, God says, I'm going to bring them home to this land that I gave their ancestors. They will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's going to happen. Okay? This is the message the Lord gave concerning Ju Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. I hear cries of fear. There is terror and no peace. Now let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then why do they stand there ashen-faced, hands pressed against their side like a woman in labor? In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel, yet in the end they will be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners, that's the Gentile nations, will no longer be their masters. For my people will serve the Lord their God and their king descended from David, the king that I will raise up for them. That's Jesus. Okay? So from this passage, we can see that number the four things. Number one, God's going to bring Israel back to their land. Number two, there will be for Israel a time of terror and disaster like we've never seen before. And if you look at what happened in the Holocaust, that was terrible. Imagine something worse than that. More terrible than anything they've ever experienced. 
but the Lord himself will intervene and save them as a nation. He will come and he will save Israel. And then the national kingdom of Israel will again be restored. And the throne upon the throne of David, Jesus will rule. Okay? That's what's going to happen. Okay? Jesus is going to come back and he is going to rule from that throne. Zechariah 12, we'll have a look at Zechariah 12, verse 3, and Zechariah 14, verse 2 to 4. Zechariah 12, verse 3 says this, On that day I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try and move it, but they will only hurt themselves. So there's, there's a word for this, it's called anti-Semitism. And it's going to increase because these are God's chosen people, and guess who hates them? More than anyone, the devil. So he's going to stir up the nations to attack Israel. Zechariah 14, verse 2 to 4. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and half to the south. So here again, we see the Gentile nations attacking Israel and God, Jesus himself, coming to their rescue. Okay, And what's interesting about that, it says he will stand on the Mount of Olives. And you know, that is the place where he, re- he, was, he ascended. It's in that exact place that he ascended. He's coming back again to save his people. Okay, <clears throat> And this judgment on Israel is going to purge all the rebellious from among Israel. It's going to be a time of judgment on Israel as a nation, but it's going to purge out all the rebellious. Because not everybody in Israel is all praising God and, you know, going for the Lord. There's a lot of rebellion still. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 37 to 38. Ezekiel 20, 37 to 38. I'm going to read this out of the ESV, not out of the NLT. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So this is a picture of a shepherd with a rod, and sheep coming into the sheepfold, And it's how the shepherds are checking. Is this my sheep or isn't it? They will pass under the rod. That's what the picture is all about. That's how they inspect their flock before they admit them to the fold. So the Israelites who pass through this final judgment will be brought into the fold of a new covenant relationship with the Lord. Those, this is what I believe, those Israelites that survive this terrible time of tribulation, this terrible time of judgment, I believe all of them will be saved. Every single one of them will be born again. And this is why. 
Zechariah 12, verse 9 and 10. Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. For on that day I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is the same thing happening. And then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me who they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. This is the Lord speaking in the first person saying, they're going to look on me who they've pierced. So here's the thing. Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah because they didn't think he was the king that was going to come and bring victory, bring economic prosperity, bring peace. He, they didn't see him as the king who's going to come and save them. But these Israelites in this terrible time of tribulation are going to be saved by Jesus himself. And when he comes, guess what? He's still got the nail marks and he's got the side. And they're going to look upon him who they've pierced. And they're going to say, my goodness, we've made the biggest mistake of our life. We crucified our Messiah. And they're going to all believe, all the remaining ones will believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they'll be saved. And that's why the Bible says all Israel will be saved. It's the only nation in the world that the Bible says this is going to happen. But it'll be a remnant. It'll be a small number because a lot of them will be wiped out. The rebellious will be purged. And the remaining guys are going to go, wow, the Messiah, the guy we crucified 2,000, 3,000, I don't know how many years ago it will be when that happens. But they're going to see the one they pierced and they're going to mourn because of it. Romans 11 verse 26, Paul describes this in the New Testament. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. That's what's going to happen. Now that Israel have passed through this judgment of tribulation, and Christ has come back to earth and set up an earthly kingdom. What remains for the Lord to do is to judge the Gentile nations. And he's going to judge them based on how they treated Israel. You see this in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. At the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem... I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nation, and for dividing up my land. It's one of the biggest things that God is going to judge the Gentiles for. He, he gave them that land, and the Gentile nations have divided it up and said, no, no, we want this, we want that, you can't have this, you can't have that. And God's going to come back and say, I'm judging you. I gave them that land. You don't get to divide. You don't get to say where the capital is. You don't get to cut sections off for yourself. I, the Lord, gave those people that land. No one can touch it. And so he's going to judge the Gentile nations based on how they've treated Israel. Bearing in mind that at this time, we're the Christians. We're all 
raised, either raised from the dead or we've, we were living when Christ returned. We go to meet him in the air, receive our resurrected bodies. We face the judgment seat of Christ, which will determine how our service will be. Okay? God has judged Israel now, which are still around. Now he's judging the Gentile nations. Okay? It'll be based on how they treated Israel. And I believe that this judgment is described again in the New Testament in Matthew 25. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, when's that? Second coming. Okay? Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. What did we read about in Joel? He's going to make them pass. Sorry, sorry, that's Israel. Forget about that. Just realize it's not, not that at all. But he is going to, he's going to judge the nations, okay? And he's going to separate sheep and goats, okay? He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then these guys are going to say, well, sorry, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. That's him saying, Whatever you did for Israel, you were doing for me. Okay? And they will be naked, hungry, thirsty, in prison. And depending on how the Gentile nations treat them, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will be blessed. Why? What did he say to Abraham? All those who bless you will be blessed. All those who curse you will be cursed. Okay? Then the king will turn to those on the left and he will say, Away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? He will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And so there's going to be a separation of the Gentile nations the righteous and the unrighteous. And I believe what will happen is those unrighteous will go and wait in Hades, in torment, until that final judgment takes place. And the righteous 
will enter the millennial reign of Jesus. Okay? So for a thousand years, the Bible says Jesus is going to reign from his throne in Jerusalem. Okay? We'll have a look at that. <clears throat> Let's turn to Revelation. We'll read it. Revelation chapter 20. We'll read from verse 1. We'll read quite a chunk here because it's pretty self-explanatory. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so that Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Which nations are these? The Gentile nations. Okay. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue or accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the Christians. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, the Christians. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. It's not an analogy. It's not a metaphor. It's a thousand years. When the thousand years come, uh, came to an end, has come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. People have all trying to interpret where is Gog, where is Magog. This is after a thousand years. I mean, any nation on earth could have been renamed in that time, okay? In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sand on the seashore. So this for me is, is rather disappointing because all, out of all the population on the earth, it looks as if, Satan deceives most people that are still remaining, okay? Not Christians, the remaining nations, okay? Where are we? Verse 9. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire came from heaven so, sorry, fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay? False prophet, who's a human, is going to be in there forever and ever in torment there are people who teach today that the lake of fire 
people that are thrown in there will be obliterated or extinguished or absolutely destroyed so there's nothing left of them. The, the word for destroy is actually the word ruin. It means people that go there will be eternally ruined, but it will be for eternity. It'll be like a wearing out of a, like a perishing of something like a, like a tire or something like that, where it perishes and perishes and perishes, but the tire still remains. It's not that that tire is going to disappear. People that go here are going to be there for all eternity. Okay? Now, there are people who preach, um, they don't preach that. If they're right, it's bad. If I'm right, it's catastrophic. Okay? If I'm right, there is an urgency, there is a desperate desperation to reach people for the gospel because it is eternal torment and eternal separation from God. If the false prophet's going to be there forever and ever and be tormented, why would he stay and no one else? Why would God destroy everyone else and leave him there? Okay? Anyway. So this is bringing us now to final judgment. Maybe the topic on your Bible is final judgment. So there will be a judgment of Israel and a judgment of the Gentile nations. Then there will be a thousand-year reign. And for the first time in all of history, the earth will have a righteous king, Jesus, who will rule on his throne. And Christians will have their resurrected bodies. We will help in the government of God. We will be priests that will minister on behalf of Jesus, and we will be helping him establish his rule across the earth, okay? And people, the rest of the people, will be living and dying, living and dying, living and dying, living and dying for the thousand years. And then Satan will be released. What will the earth's population be like then? Who knows? I mean, the earth's population is going up like this. After a thousand years, it could be a trillion people. And he will go out in the nations for a short time, and he will deceive many, many people. Because it says as numerous as the sand is on the seashore. Now, even if the army is a million people, you could probably count it. But this is an uncountable number of people that are going to be deceived by the devil and come and attack the encampment of God. Okay? And fire will come down from heaven, destroy them, all dead, okay? And, and then, at the very end of that, um, the devil will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have already been for a thousand years, okay? That's not bad enough. And all, all those rebellious who were with them are also will be judged then. All the remaining dead will be judged. And then it says here, let's just read it here. I saw a great white throne. This is the final judgment here. The great white throne. I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books. Once again, we see that the dead are judged according to what they've done. Not according to anybody else. It's every person standing before God judged according to what they've done. 
what's been recorded in the books. Okay? The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave, or Hades, gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That is, those are the last enemies to be destroyed by Jesus. Satan's actually not the last one. Death is. Okay? Death and Hades seem to work hand in hand. It's like death comes, takes someone's life, hands them over to Hades, which I believe is is not only a, a spirit but also a place, and Hades locks them away in that place of torment. So they're working hand in hand. When you read of the, the horsemen that are coming, I think it's in Revelation, uh, the, the four horsemen, is Revelation 6, I can't remember where, but one of the horses is a black horse, and its rider is death, and it's followed by Hades. It seems to me that two persons, okay? But here at the end, death and Hades are thrown in to the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And then it says, And anyone whose names, whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I believe that it will be possible for people in the millennium to be saved by faith. It's different for them because they have to believe that the king that is reigning in Jerusalem is a king that's returned. And he he came, I don't know how many thousands of years earlier. I don't know when it will take place. Let's say it took place today. Jesus, that, that same king that they're seeing, came 2,000 years earlier. He died, he was buried, and he was raised up to the right hand of the Father. They're going to have to believe that by faith. And if they do that, their name will be written in the book of life. Unfortunately, it looks like not many of them are going to do that. And many of them are going to be joining the devil in his final rebellion against the people of God. But I believe that there will be opportunity for those because it's during their lifetime. They will have a life where they will be born. They maybe live for 80, 100 years or whatever. And they will have an opportunity just like you and I to receive Jesus by faith. Accepting they could actually go there and see him. But people rejected Jesus the first time when he walked the earth and he said, you know, look at the miracles I'm doing. I'm the Messiah. I know the Father and the Father knows me. I and the Father are one. You see me, you see the Father. And you people are like, no, you're a carpenter. <laughs> and there he was, walking on water, healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding thousands of people with two loaves and five fish. And yet, still, people rejected him. So, as mind-boggling as it seems, people in the millennium are going to do the same thing when they have every opportunity. And we, Christians, will have our resurrected bodies, our immortal bodies. So we're not going to live and die, live and die, live and die throughout the resurrection. We are going to live and live and live and live because we've got resurrected bodies. So we can... We can help Jesus establish his kingdom across the face of the earth and rule with him. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. And then right at the end, there will be that final judgment. And it's all about what's written in your book. I believe that every person's book is going to say, you don't deserve to be in heaven. Because none of us are saved by works. 
those works are going to show, no, you didn't make it. But praise the Lord, the book of life will be opened. There's your name. You're in. Saved by grace. That's it. It's going to be an absolutely wonderful day. It really will be. I've shared a lot of scripture here, but I, I really trust that you'll, you'll go and have a look at these scriptures yourself. Pray about them. I mean, there are a lot of differing views on these topics. For me, I'm looking at things and going, how does it fit together in a logical way? And as far as I can see, I've had a look at a whole lot of viewpoints. This is the most logical way that it fits in. I, I really believe this with all my heart. But the one thing that I'd want to leave you with is Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Genesis 18 and verse 25. It says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And in another version it says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? At the end of all of this, God is going to do what's right. He will. Those who deserve salvation who have been saved by, by grace, by faith, will be saved. Those who have rejected God will be punished. But at the end of it all, no one will be able to say, God, you did me wrong. <laughs> Everyone's going to have to say, even us, we're going to say, God, sheesh, you, your grace is amazing. I know I didn't deserve to get in, but praise God, I've received by faith, and uh, here I am, eh? Let's just stand and we're going to end in prayer.